This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Bank of Clark County has a comprehensive suite of solutions for your personal and business needs. We offer banking, lending services, and wealth management services with the best-in-class customer service you'd expect from a community bank. Whether you need a checking or savings account, a mortgage or home equity line of credit, a business loan, or to set up a trust or investment account, Bank of Clark County can help. Bank of Clark County. Big Bank Solutions, Community Bank Service. And we've just opened a branch at 530 Blackwell Road in Warrenton. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The share it with a friend deal, even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Welcome again to Cottage Talk. I'm Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Max Cohen. This is our post-match show of Fulham's 3-0 loss to Manchester City. It's been a few days, Max, and uh, honestly, because of my schedule, I wasn't able to do a post-match show until then. But I thought it's always good to look back and review and maybe just really talk about what went wrong, what went right, because, again, they played City even in the first half. So there are some positives to take out of this. I like to look at the positives as well. But there are some negatives. We have to talk about the three goals they gave up. But let's just start at, at basic. I'm, I didn't put Mad Max's takes or anything like that. I just put Max's thoughts. So I know it's been a few days. You've had time to think about it. Just give me your overall thoughts on this 3-0 loss. Because, again, there are so many ways to look at it. You can look at the positives and the negatives. It's just an overall view. Yeah, I think if anyone had told me we would have got anything out of the match, I would have said they're lying and no one really thought this exactly. would be a competitive match to start out with. That being said, after we played the best team in Europe, evenly, I'd argue for the first 45 minutes, yeah. you know, we thought we began to believe. So in that <laughs> sense, the, the second half was frustrating because yes. we played them nil nil for the first 45 minutes. That's right. And city looked a bit out of sorts. They played a new formation. They experimented. 
there's a bit of a you know squad rotation we'll talk about Guardiola that. and and you kind of thought after it was nil nil it's like where is that goal going to come from and then to concede so soon as that second half you knew the match is over because we oh, never yeah. look like scoring we're never going to get a goal no. in that match but all in all I, I said this on Twitter after the match doesn't really change much in my mind about Fulham's chances of staying up same thing I, yeah I'd actually say the biggest result this weekend that affected Fulham's survival was at St Mary's with Brighton's win over Southampton. That, in my opinion, actually had more of a say in the relegation battle than this loss. We're never going to win this game. Right. Really never going to tie it either. But the fact that Brighton got that three points, I think, was actually pretty important. Well, that's huge for them. But, you know, it's funny because uh, I understand bringing that up. And, and we do talk about that. And we should talk about that on Cottage Talk. But my whole thing on Fulham is that, Max, if they take care of their own business, then Brighton's results... Newcastle's results shouldn't matter. I, you know, again, I know that's a simplistic way to look at it, but it really is about what they do, what Fulham does. Uh, but yes, I've, I'm not going to lie. I had an eye on that, and my phone was blowing up when Brighton did what Brighton did. That was actually very frustrating. Even what Newcastle did was frustrating. You know, and again, a lot of frustrating things. But then I just kept going back to this Max when we're talking about coming out of this match. It doesn't change anything for me. It's still in Fulham's hands to do what they need to do. But yes, yes, the more interesting result, obviously, was uh, what happened to Brighton, and that's unfortunate for Fulham. But again, my thoughts on this match, and we're going to talk about the first and second half and, and just get an overall view of this match, is that, you know, it's funny. When you play a team like this, even, and I know that they had all the squad rotation, like we said, okay? And Fulham tinkered as well. It wasn't just City. It was like two teams. It was almost like two managers almost trying to outdo each other, which is interesting because I think coming out of this, and this is one of my takeaways from this match, I think Pep Guardiola has a lot of respect for Scott Parker and Fulham going into the match and certainly coming out of this match. And if you heard the players after the match, and I remember hearing one, John Stones. John Stones had a lot of gave a lot of credit to Fulham. He said they gave him a lot of trouble in the first half. Obviously, they made adjustments in the second half. They tweaked things, and and maybe that had something to do with with, uh, what happened in the second half. I I think some of it also has to do what Fulham didn't do or the mistakes they made. But what I got out of this overall was that they played, like you said, arguably the best team in Europe, maybe in the world right now, even for a half. That's an accomplishment in itself. Like you said, you weren't expecting anything out of this match. Anything that they got out of it was a bonus. It was more to do, as Emilio said, the performance. So if we break it up into two parts, the first half performance, very good. Second half performance, not so great. But you can also just talk about a 15-minute span, and then after that, it's okay. But again, you can make the argument that, you know, I mean, obviously the argument is that the match was over at that point. But, you know, my thoughts on this, again, overall, you play them even for a half, and it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. And if anyone thinks it does change anything, I disagree with you. It doesn't change anything. Fulham's fate, as I said at the beginning, is in their hands. But let's get going there, my friend, and let's talk about the starting 11. Let's talk about both of them because that's where the tinkering really went on. Let's start with Fulham and your thoughts on their starting 11. I think one of the biggest things was Lamina, Angisa, and Reed all starting together in central midfield. I think I read that was the first time all three of those players had started yep. a match together all season. 
which as we'll talk about later, was crucial yes. in combating City's midfield. And kind yeah, of we're going to talk about, the, man talk about the first half. Yep. I was a bit disappointed to see no strikers. I can understand not starting Mitrovic, but I don't know why Magic didn't start because we had lots of cheek as a false nine. Lookman played the false nine. Yep. Cavalier might have switched into that position. It was it was a lot of kind of overlapping between the front four. You could but maybe say, it was but, a lot of just moving parts that, yeah. that they could mix and match. Maybe he didn't feel that Magic would fit that. I, I don't know. I thought it was a real shame. Um, okay. Not that again. This is with. Uh, expectation we weren't going to win or even tie this game but as as comms are saying we didn't even have a shot on target so i think that was a lack of intent which was a bit disappointing because i think you can still play magia and not and still play defensively you know it doesn't have to be so no one on that pitch was going to score a goal for fulham um and that's kind of been the issue all season and i know we're going to sit back and defend for most of it but that to me stood out in the sense that both strikers on the bench playing loft to cheek false nine that's not his position because he's not a goal scorer. And in my opinion, Magic yep. could do the same type of defensive work, right? Right. And when we talk about the first half, we'll talk about that in a second. What's fascinating about this, because you're talking about, we're focusing on the starting 11, that there was no goal scorer out there. And when you say that, you're saying, well, I'm thinking to myself, well, that means that Fulham were not aggressive. Max, they were aggressive in different ways, which is very Interesting to say, and we'll talk about that. Their approach was very aggressive, but they didn't have an out-and-out striker on the pitch. That's the interesting part of the. It. It's almost a, some kind of contradictory. Do you get where I'm going on that? Well, it's like yeah. it's like in some ways you're like, I want to be aggressive, but you don't want to have a striker out there. It wasn't aggressive attack in an attacking man at all, but it was aggressive no. defensively, which which I understand. That's what I, I mean. still think. You know, in that first ten minutes, which you're probably pointing, we're pressing high. That was the best we played all match. In terms I'm just of talking about the front right. foot, but. You don't have a person because we're going to get one, one or two chances in maximum in a game like this against City. Max. You need, you need someone to take advantage of it. Yep. Lookman is not that person. Lost not that person. I don't think it's a huge deal again, but I still think there are a couple of chances when Lookman you know, could have break broken free or he could have had the shot off or crosses come in yep. and really no one is in there the box to head it in. And when you're only going to have a, a moment in this match in City when you're going to be on the top. Yep. And I just didn't think we set ourselves up for success in those small moments. Okay, very good. All right, Max, before we get down and break down this match, let's talk about this biggest takeaway from the match. You know, again, we, we were just talking about nothing changes. But what did you take out of this? The, the one thing that most you think about coming out of this match, out of the 3-0 loss? I'm torn because I could talk about how well we held them for the first half, but I'll focus on more negative. But I think I touched okay, one in the sense that it was the first time I saw us create mistakes like it was 2019 yes. or even like it was September or November of 2020 in that sense, because we'd been so consistent, so calm at the back. And we saw really three really poor errors, individual errors, but also just general team defense errors with that free kick. Yep. Um, and that was worrying. But how much of that is playing against Man City? How much of that is if that happens against a team without their quality, they won't take advantage? Not sure, but it was a bit worrying to see that because we haven't seen that for so long. Right. The mistakes were there, Max. And what's interesting about this, my biggest takeaway kind of leads to talking about the mistakes, which which we'll talk about in the second half. But how do I blame Scott Parker for trying to figure out a way to get something out of this match and show Pep Guardiola something different? I think he showed him something different. And like you said, defensively, it was aggressive. 
going forward, not so much. It was basically just trying to get that opportunity, like you said, one or two. But the biggest takeaway I got this is that we're seeing a manager continually try things and basically still learning his craft, figuring out, playing against the opponent, which I think is a major step in his growth, that he looked at Pep Guardiola, and I was concerned that he was going to do something similar that Southampton did. Southampton, again, 5-2, to two, and it looks good, right, Max? It looks good. It's, it's free-flowing. It's still 5-2. to two. It's still three-goal difference like we have. He I don't know. What do you want to have 5-2 or 3-0? I'd rather score two goals. Okay. And goal I've heard that. And I've heard I'd that argument. Have some goals in the back of the net. Okay. I've heard that argument that that's actually more impressive. The Southampton lost five to two. It's still the same goal differential. But my point in talking about this is that he was trying to figure out a way to potentially get points. And he went in a different direction than Southampton did. He didn't look at the, what they did. He did something different than, you know, again, the approach I thought was different. And it was risky. And we saw that. And, and again, I, I think it really hurt Fulham in the second half. And it reminded me of some of the things that we saw the prior season or even under Savisa with playing out from the back. You're playing out from the back against Man City. I could see the logic behind it because at times when they broke that, Fulham were dangerous. But the problem was it wasn't often enough. And I, I thought the risk-reward maybe was a little bit too high, Max. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100% agree. There were multiple times in that first half we could have been punished. And we felt like they were just knocking on the door. That's one, you know, anticipation away from them scoring. And then second half, it all kind of fell apart for us. The Cavalero back pass, the Anderson unlucky deflection, and then Tosin just kind of capitulating on, on two instances in the sense that he tried to do a little back heel flick and then gave away a silly penalty. So for me, that was a little bit baffling. Because if I'm Scott Parker, I know this Fulham team is good at playing out the back. I think we saw it. We've seen at times all yep. season that we can break out of tough situations. Yep. But you're playing against the best pressing team in England, if not Europe, et cetera, in City. They know how to put pressure on the ball. That is what Guardiola is so good at. Out of possession, they just harass teams and win yep. the ball back up the pitch. It was naive, in my opinion. Yep. And it just wasn't smart because it, it, exactly. It was almost like a Slavisa situation. when Right. Right, you know they're being told to do it. You're being told to do it, yeah. There was that Aston Villa match at, at uh, Villa Park that I'll never forget. That they played the ball from the back, they got <laughs> punished and they lost the they lost the match. Remember that? Yeah. Well, so that's what the, this kind of reminded Budden. me. Now we've, we've better players. So, I mean, I, I can see why Park would do it now. There's no David Bunn in the squad, but yeah, it, it was <laughs> odd, and it just felt like a disaster waiting to happen all first half. Exactly. Which is Russ? Was it was that first half just lucky, or were we actually good? Because I easily could have seen a situation when one of those passes goes awry in the first half and City score one goal and we're having a different conversation. Right. right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the approach coming up when we break break it down. But I, I want to share a couple of comments. This is from my friend Colm Bugler, and Colm's great. So he's, he's a soft free kick, in my opinion. I will agree with that for their first goal and two individual mistakes for the other two goals. But zero next to the shots on target was disappointing. And that goes back to what you said, Max. Because uh, the opportunity from from Josh Onam is the one that I remember. And that's sad because at that point, the match is way over at that point. But, you know, that was an actual opportunity. But, again, where were the opportunities prior to that? But you are playing City. They are far and few between. Does it make any difference if Josh Maja starts? I don't know. I, I You know, again, 
this is part of the approach that Parker went with. But but I understand that because, again, there are two ways. And, and I saw all these comments after this match, and, and I saw the same comments, Max, when we uh, played City the first time. I've not heard this term since the last time. Toothless. Toothless is usually what – it seems the two times I've heard former toothless have been against Man City. And I have to think to myself – a lot of that has to do with Man City because you're not going to get a lot of opportunities. What are you expecting? They're not going to be on the front foot, meaning that they're not going to be able to really attack City. They, I think they were trying to in their approach. It just it just didn't come off. But you know what? You know, I, I understand Combs, you know, disappointment. It's, it's my disappointment too because, uh, you know, if they don't make these mistakes, I don't know. I, I still don't see them getting a draw. But they didn't embarrass themselves, you know, and that's something also you to, sure? to, to consider. It was, it was, after that third goal went in, it was a bit embarrassing, I think, Ross. I think they did good. Oh, I asked, it wasn't four or five goals, but okay. I felt a little embarrassed after you, you know, Tosin you? tries to do the back heel. And then when Cavalier hit the ball off, and like Anderson hit the ball off Cavalier, that was a bit embarrassing. I was, I was okay. a little bit embarrassed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but overall, you know, it, it, it's funny because um, I asked uh, Amelia, was this a hammering? Do you think this is a hammering? Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, well, we lost 3 0 and we never shot on target. I know it's against the best team in the league. I'm not saying it's, I, I don't say it's uh, shameful, but yep. we got hammered. We got played off the park. Yep. Okay. Let's see. All right. I'm going to share this comment from Brian Lake. Don't really believe in free hits, but it was City and Friday versus Leeds is 100% more important. Good perspective, Brian. Brian. <laughs> you are 100% correct. That's why. As I look back at this match, we'll, like I said, we're going to break it down. We'll also do a preview in a few more days of the uh, Leeds United match. But this, to me, was a free hit. I, I understand what you mean by that. But, you know, nothing changes for me. And it sounds like that it's more to do with uh, the teams coming up, and I completely agree with that. Okay, coming up next, Max and I will break down both halves. And uh, I'll ask Max the question, is there a man of the match? Okay, Max, let's get your overall thoughts on the first half. And, um, you know, it's interesting when, when I look back at this, you know, I don't think it's easy to hold this team, regardless of all the changes they had, to to even at the half. I, I think it's very difficult to do, but they were able to do it. And, uh, you know, and I want to get your thoughts on that. But before we do that, I want to recommend everyone, listen, if you've not done this yet, and I actually just recently did this. I, I decided I, I was going to subscribe to The Athletic, specifically for one person, and that's Peter Rutzler. And I'm glad that I did. Peter does a fantastic job breaking down these matches. Fantastic. We're lucky to have Peter covering Fulham. Great articles. This last one I would highly recommend because I'm going to share a couple parts of his article because I think that's going to lead us into our conversation, Max, talking about the first half the approach by Scott Parker. So I'm going to just share these from Peter Rutzler. They go together. Peter wrote, their approach was front foot and was based on a tight man marking system. That's followed up by this. Each of Fulham's central midfielders was tasked with shadowing their city counterparts closely. So Max, here we have the game plan for Scott Parker that Again, he was flooding the middle. He was going to man-mark them and really try to nullify what they wanted to do. But on the flip side, 
he was going to play it out from the back. And, uh, you know, and again, the risk reward in that he was brave in doing that. But as we said, was the risk worth the reward? So let's get your thoughts on what Peter shared here and then overall your analysis of uh, the first half. I think the defensive tactical analysis is spot on in terms of, you know, Angisa, Reed, Lamina, all taking a city player. Yeah, it was, it was excellent. It was smart. What it did do, however, was create that space for the three center backs to stride in. And you saw John Stones and getting, a lot of, too. Yes. getting a lot of uh, success and exploiting when those city center midfielders kind of went wide or pushed towards. Uh, that was their Connor move. Yeah, yeah. There's huge amounts of space. And I haven't seen John Stones play like that. He almost played like a center mid striding <laughs> forward. Uh, it, was, it was very kind of Beckenbauer-esque, but he was finding a lot of success and then kind of playing through balls. And we did play a high line and yes. almost got caught out a couple times, but yes, that's in that first about. half, it proved to be successful. And Ariola did make some good saves. I remember from Torres on one point. And, yes. But it worked, you know, I can't have too many qualms that first half. And the key is when you're playing the big sides, it's always, you keep it scoreless for as long as possible. Right. And then you start to think the longer it stays nil nil, the more chance you have of getting something out of this. That's right. Contrast it back to the Eddie had in the fall. I think we can see it within the first 15 minutes and then shortly thereafter, after a penalty. And then that's just so depressing to already be down one nil, two nil in that first half. And then it's this, over. Yeah. This time around, we completely flipped the script, kept it tight. Yeah. And yeah, I was, I was positive at the end of that first half because I think Parker did pull off a master stroke in terms of, um, you know, man marking and, I wouldn't say playing out of the back was a masterstroke, but it didn't quite hurt us in that first half. Right, right, Max. And so I want to get your thoughts, and I'm glad that you did a great job of uh, breaking down what was going on in the first half because Fulham were more than competitive. And that's kind of what I wanted to see, and that's what Emilio kept saying. He wanted a performance. We, we got a performance, especially in the first half. So before we talk about the second half and transition to what went wrong early on in the second half, what was your mindset at halftime? What were you thinking at halftime? Can we keep this up? Was that going through your mind? Were you fearful? Because, again, obviously we're going to talk about what happened, but did you think that Fulham could continue to do this in the second half? I knew that there would be a big city onslaught at the start of that second half, and I knew they'd probably switch up the system. Because, the, let's be honest, I think a, a big part that stayed nil-nil in that first half was that Guardiola was trying out that 3-4-3. He was. And it was clear the city players weren't comfortable in it because it wasn't fluid. I think Aguero yep. looks a bit past his prime, definitely in that city side. He's not the player he used yeah, to be. Yeah, it's very strange to see him like that. Yeah, a lot of injuries, and I think his age is catching up to him. But yep. also, you were missing Gundogan. You're missing the Bruyne. You're missing the, the cream of the crop. And don't get me Sterling. wrong, it's, still, it's Sterling. It's an excellent squad even without those players, but when you take out regular starters from any Premier League team, it's going to be a bit of a shock. And just the three defenders. It seemed that uh, the wing backs, I think it was what it was, uh, Cancelo and Mendy, they weren't that comfortable. I don't think Mendy has started many matches this season for City. It seemed like a team kind of fighting its feet. So I knew that that first half was probably the best chance we'd have to keep it tight. And second half, Pep might realize we have to switch it up. At the end of the day, yep. it didn't end up happening. He, Pep got very fortunate. Or, you know, fair play to him. He didn't have to expend any of his players before the Champions League game going on now because yep. they got the goals anyway. They did, Max. And what's interesting, and I'll go back to this interview that I heard with Stones. He said they tweaked it at halftime. He said they made the changes. And uh, did that 
was that the difference in the second half? I, I, I will say I, I think a lot of it had to do with Fulham's mistakes, but you have to give credit to Manchester City. No, They're I, Manchester I, I don't City. think so, but I, I don't no? think anything City did led to that second half win. Think about it. Well, it that's a why free kick. But that's I why I said, well, is it on Fulham? Yeah, I, don't, I think it's completely on Fulham. That's, yep. that's where I'm kind of torn here, Ross, in that we played really well first half. And then City didn't beat us through individual brilliance. I think you might argue this, the service in that free kick oh, is, is fantastic. But yeah. I think it's poor marking by us. The second goal is terrible playing at the back. And the third goal is terrible it's playing at the back. So in that sense, I'm, am I pleased? City didn't really tear us apart in the goals they scored. You know, they could have had more, you know, when they didn't score. But we really were the architects of our own downfall. See, I agree with you 100%. This, you know, and again, that's why I'm always one that will always give credit to the other side. But in this case, in all three goals that we're going to talk about, you can point to mistakes full and made. So we are the architects of our own demise, as, as you were saying. So w- let's talk about this because, again, let's talk about the first goal. And as uh, was already mentioned by uh, someone that sent us a a comment. Was it a soft free kick? Okay. But the goal itself, you know, again, uh, for all the great defending, this is actually John Stones. I mean, you got to give him full credit here. And it's the timing of a max. The second half had just begun. This had to have taken a huge effect on Fulham. Let's talk about the first goal because – I don't think Fulham stopped playing, but I, I I think this had to have a little bit of a mental effect on them. Hundred percent. And I was saying this, you know, after the match, and I was talking about, you know, with my dad. I said the entire halftime interval from Parker was likely keep Thrown it tight. out, keep it no no yeah, and everyone is kind of getting ready for that kind of rear guard action. Just like he, I'm sure Parker said, remember Anfield, remember that second half. Let's yeah. replicate that. Let's be warriors. Exactly. Let's throw ourselves down the ball. Let's protect this nil nil. I don't think any of it was attacking in terms of tactics in that team talk. Yep. And then to go behind the goal so early on, no one's out there expecting to get to get an equalizer. No one is out there expecting to get a goal. I think that shattered their mentality, shattered their confidence. The yep. goal itself, I think a lot of people, and you know, I see Chris in the comments is saying the high line was a mistake. Yes. I disagree. I think the high, I think line, the high line has done us well more but, often than yeah, not. Yeah, but in this sense, it was just the individual marking was awful. First of all, Tosin lets John Stones get goal side of him. He's, Tosin's not goal side. Tosin's yep. to the left. Stones is the right. Again, the center back. Tosin's better than that. He should know better. Very simple. But I think it's more than that. If you look at the actual, I paused it on the replay right before the yep. ball goes in. And we have three players. I think it's Tete and Gisa, someone yep. else, on the right of the penalty area. And towards the middle of the penalty where all the players are. And, and those players are marking nobody. They're just marking space. We have Cavalier kind of also on the edge of the box. Tete and, and Anderson are left to mark two players, just one-on-one. And then actually, if you go far post, there are two Fulham defenders for three city attackers. Yeah, It just seemed to be a complete breakdown in any sort of communication because we weren't putting the players where the city players were. Right. Um, and I've never seen that happen in recent weeks for us. And Tosin does... Gets just gets beat by his man, but also there's no yeah. help there, which is also no. There fine. isn't, there isn't Max, and you know, and again, fair point for uh, Chris to to mention it, you know, and it's you know, again, we're talking about some some of the tactics that they put out there, and this one didn't work, and uh, they give up the goal, but very good analysis from you. The unfortunate part is that this is followed up shortly after by the second goal, just less than nine minutes later, you have the goal. Now again, this is. 
just just again just a, a comedy of errors you know that leads to you know and again uh, I, I've heard all the plaudits for Jesus like wow what a goal by him uh, okay I you know a, a, that he hit it well okay fine but it was still a full mistake <laughs> or mistakes max that led to the second goal yeah Cavalero I don't know what he's doing cutting inside in his own uh, half with the ball and then playing an absolute hospital ball to Anderson. It's just not needed. If you're a winger, I think if you're going to clear the ball, you clear it up and wide. You don't go central and back. And I think Anderson is put in a tough spot because it's overhit. Anderson has yep. to stretch, slide it. Yep. And it unfortunately ricochets right off Cavalera. I do think Anderson could he have done better perhaps, but yeah. he was put in a tough position as well. And once it's there, you know, Ariel has to come out. He gets rounded well uh, by Jesus. And then that that's when I felt embarrassed because it was in such quick succession. Oh, it was, it was and I'm horrible. thinking, could it be four? Could it be five? Or we can be in for a very, very long night. Yep. That's the one saving grace, I think, about the second half is after that third goal went in, there's nothing more because it very easily could have gotten away from us. Okay. Excellent stuff there. All right. All right, my friend. Now we have to talk about the third goal. And, um, you know, listen, uh, I think Tosin – has the chance to be an excellent player. And uh, you know how I feel about diving, and I, I went back and forth with Emilio on this, you know, he, you know, and uh, other people have challenged me on this. This wasn't diving. You know, this was a foul. I, I agree it's a foul. I totally agree. I just think it's, you know, again, it's a little bit of the player. But, again, this is what players do. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, and, and, but more, more important is uh, it's another mistake. It's another mistake by – regardless, it's another mistake by Tosin. For all the good that he's done, you know, again, this is probably the best team in the world, and he's playing against a team that he grew you know, grew up playing for, so that had to be difficult on him. But let's talk about the third goal, and at this point, the match is far over at that point. Yeah. So I watch it back, and Aina plays the ball back to Tosin, and it's not a terrible pass back, but it's actually rolling quite slowly. And Tosin opened up his body. Yep. He's looking for options. I think the initial issue is that his body position is looking central. So he's looking to possibly play it to Harrison Reed, who has a marker, or he's looking to play it to Anderson, who yep. also has someone on him. What he doesn't do is look back. Because I think if you're a defender and you have no options ahead of you and he's not really turned wide, I think you just play it back to the keeper. But when he really gets in trouble, he lets that ball roll and lets it roll. And then you have Fernand Torres right on him. Yep. And then he tries to back him, which is just inexcusable. Yeah, you have to put your foot through in that situation, or you play it back to Ariola. You don't do a flick, especially when someone's that tight on you. That's inexplicable. And and the next part is even worse because I think honestly, once he loses possession to Fernand Torres, yep. Torres, it's not like Torres is miles ahead of him. He's even. Yes, Tosin doesn't have to dive into that tackle when he does. In my opinion, he does it because he just made a mistake, and when you make a mistake, a defender is always eager to rectify it immediately. You're trying to correct it. And it was just over eager. And in yeah. the penalty area, again, there's absolutely no sense of where he is in the pitch. I think you're right. Torres goes down very softly. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, still- he doesn't get him. He doesn't get rid of the ball. It's it's a poor yeah. tackle, it's a senseless one. And he doesn't make any contact. If he makes contact, he has an argument to make. But the yeah. ball just completely goes on its line, and and that's penalty. No, but it's a good point. He's trying to correct an error, and then he compounds it. And uh, you know, like I said. In the long run, these mistakes, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this because what's interesting, and I've seen commentary from Parker after this, that 
what's encouraging for me, Max, because there are two ways to look at this. Just brush the match aside and let's move on to Leeds United. Parker's not doing that. And I think this is very smart. They're going to analyze this and they probably already have done this. They're going to make the corrections so this doesn't happen again. I think that's very important because these errors are correctable. These are these are errors that they can fix. They're fixable problems. So the fact that they're probably worked on it in training is very important because you don't want to forget about it. You want to watch it. You want to look at it. Then you want to move on to Leeds United. And I think, you know, and I think that to me is important. Again, the maturation of a manager to come out and say, listen, we're not putting this match in the rear view mirror yet. We're going to look at it and we are going to fix what went wrong. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically the gist of it. So it's funny because I'm thinking about this and you know, I'm a glass half full person. I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's a terrible loss. It looks bad. But are there things to gain from it? And I think I just mentioned what there is potentially to gain from it is to learn from your mistakes because you do tend to have gains from mistakes more than you do from positive moments when you can fix things. They can look at this and work on it in training. So for me, that might be a positive to come out of this. You know, again, you never want to make mistakes, but this might help them against Leeds United and the matches coming up, Max. 100%, yeah. I think you take all the pauses from that first half performance and say, if we can keep City to a nil-nil for 45 minutes, why should we concede to Leeds? You know, why should we concede to Southampton, Villa, exactly. North, et cetera? Yeah. That's my point. My point is that, you know, again, I know that I put the title form second half collapse. Okay, I, I understand that because that's what, you know, I, that leads to the loss. But when you really look at it, there are a lot of positives to take out of this. You can say you played with the best team in the world, and I'm going to say it, for a half, and you played them even. You can take that into these upcoming matches. You absolutely can. You should be confident. And you can also just harken back and say, well, listen, it was mistakes that hurt us against Man City. We played them even for a half, and we beat Liverpool, and we beat Leicester City, and we beat Everton. Why the heck can't we beat Leeds United at home? They should feel confident going into this match, Max. They really should. I know it's coming off of a loss, but like I said, that might actually be a blessing in disguise because you can actually learn from those mistakes. That's kind of where I'm going on that. All right, my friend, I asked you this before the show began, and I actually brought this up in my open here. Is there a man of the match? (laughs) It's tough because I wasn't even thinking of one, not even on my radar. I will say Areola because I do think he had some decent saves in that first half to keep it nil-nil. I think many other keepers might have let one of those slip through his hands, and it's a very different story. So I'll give it to Ariola. Okay. Although he doesn't necessarily kick, uh, cover himself in glory with that free kick, I think he might have been able to come out stronger, but it's tough for the keeper. Okay. He's the only one I could single out. Okay. And that's that's actually a very good one. My friend Chris, no minute of the match this week. Okay. Okay, I get that. I totally get that. What would that. you say, Ross? What do you think? I would have to go with you because I can't think of anyone. I, yeah. I was I was going to say none, like like Chris <laughs> there, but I still think that we have a, a world class goalkeeper that kept kept us in the match. When you look at it, you know it's not like he had tremendous saves, but he had saves that you need to make, and uh, he continues to do that. 
we're very fortunate to have this guy. Again, another reason why I want us to stay in this league because I want them, I want them to sign him permanently. There are a lot of these players, and that's what's really, um, I, I guess you could say, worrying me a little bit, again, because we both want Fulham to stay in this league because I can see the upside if they can stay in this league. I, I think they can sign a good amount of these players and keep keep the band together, at least at least some of these players, because I really like the look of this team. I really do. Okay, Max, before we end the show, any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I think part of what made this match very frustrating was that the individual errors we saw reminded us of our last Premier League campaign yep. and how we essentially saw you know switch-offs like this almost every single week. The big difference is we just have better footballers now in this team. Yep. And that's 100% down to recruitment. And I know I say this a lot, but I want to just go back and refute anyone who looks at Fulham in 2018-19 and says, the issue is we spent too much. The issue is the £100 million overhauled the squad. Because that was never the issue. The no. squad needed overhauling. It's that we, we, didn't buy any, we didn't buy good players. We actually bought pretty poor players. That's the but bottom line. Then, if you look at the matches we played in 18-19, I think you'll find that probably 75% of the time, you had Tim Ream or Dennis Adoy starting at center back. And you look at this time around. Ream, Hector Adoy, Brian too, getting nowhere near this starting 11. Also, Cyrus Christie played a bunch of matches as well. That's right. None of these championship players are getting anywhere near our starting 11. Remember and that's what, Oh, yeah. Okay, great. That's a victory. That's a repressed memory there, Russ. I don't want to think about that. Sorry, but, I, you know, I while yeah. you're talking about this, I'm like, I'm thinking yeah. about all the mistakes that folks have made. But it's, it's very simple, you know. You get Premier League quality players, you'll cut down the mistakes, yep. you'll cut down the individual errors. And to people saying you can't overhaul a squad, we've overhauled our squad, and look what it's done for us. It's done yeah. absolute wonders. So, just goes to show people who like to criticize. Oh, Fulham ruined all the morale, or it, it's just a lazy analysis. And yeah, of course, of course. This not. season is such a nice example of why you need a complete overhaul if you go into a championship. We get promoted without a good squad. Absolutely, Max. And and uh, I brought this up prior, and you're going to agree with me on this. When, when I look back at the opening match against Arsenal, and you look at the only starters that again from a team that you know again when you look at the the back four and the goalkeeper, you know. I, Nothing against Rodak, but Harrison Reed and Cavallaro, and Cavallaro doesn't start all the time, are really the only regulars. Everyone else, you know, your back line was, was it was uh, Reem and Hector. It was Reem and Hector. And Dennis Adoy and Joe Bryan, that was your back four. Think yeah. about that against Arsenal. Think about how far we've come. Think about the differences. So, and again, nothing against Joe Bryan. Nothing against him at all. But we're looking at a team now that, once you bring in the quality and they play together, and I, and I could care less that they're loans because these players are playing together. They're not acting like, quote-unquote, we hear that loan players act. They're playing for fall. Let's just call it what it is. They're playing for fall. So when, as you said, I'm going to back you on this. When you bring in the right players, whether they're loan players or permanent players, and you get a, a system that works for them, and you actually have a manager that plays to their strengths and plays against the opponent, you're going to start getting results. That's what we're seeing. That's why they have, I think, a very good chance for staying in the league, dare I say, and I'm, and I'm going to back myself on this because I'm not backing away from my prediction that they're going to be mid-table. I, I'm not going to back away. But they need to start winning matches, and it starts with Leeds United. Okay, 
Well, listen, we will have a preview of the upcoming match against Leeds United, but I'm going to wrap up the show with Max. For my wonderful co-host, Max Cohen, I'm Russ Coleman. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.